The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. I realized something that Texas Hold'em, no limit Texas Hold'em, is so much like criminal law. And there's somebody who's out there who's really talking a lot of shit right now. And I'm just going to put it like this. Where I come from, we don't have pocket aces. We're always 2-9 off suit. That's just the way it was back in the hood. But here's the thing about poker, bro. You could be 2-9 off suit and take the whole fucking pot if you know what you're doing. So, I know you got your pocket aces, you're talking a lot of shit, but let me tell you something, bro. I can read your tells. Stay tuned. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. I'm Bill Amadeo, McManus and Amadeo, and Grable and Associates. And tonight, two topics that were asked to be talked about. And I know some people want me to talk about something that I'm not going to discuss. And to those inner circle people, we've had our conversations, we'll continue to have our conversations, but we're going to do our talking in the courtroom. But we're going to talk about other topics tonight that would not be ethic violations. Number one, first first week of law school, what happened there? I'll explain that. Some of you have heard sorry this before. And then the MySpace era. The theme songs of MySpace, blogging, poetry, and... All sorts of clicks being decided. I will tell you, back in 2006, 2007, at least at Cooley, MySpace determined who were the cool kids and who weren't. It was just, just weird. And um, many people predicted that MySpace would always be more powerful than Facebook. Many people also predicted that Sam Bowie would be a better NBA player than Michael Jordan. And Ryan Leaf would be a better selection than Peyton Manning. So don't always buy into what people say. There's one lesson to take from this. All right. Let's talk about that first week of law school. Man. Ah, Cooley. In our class, I think there were 1,270 people. That's insane, right? There were 1,270 people in the Cooley. It wasn't the Cooley Center at that point. We were at the old uh, Temple Building. And they put us in there for something called Jump Start. And Jump Start was kind of a bullshit program it's like an orientation and you know you start making friends there you start making clicks and it was very different very odd some people came in in suits and ties some people came in um like they're getting ready for a ball game i suited up because i thought we were supposed to do in law school and you know we had different people talk one of the people that were talking was norman fell norman fell was a crim law professor he'd be my crim law professor and he was never a fan um sean colbreth posted on my facebook page and sean colbreth's a brilliant mind great lawyer in california he was at jumpstart with me when that article got posted in shiawassee radio and the blog about Bill Amadeo being the premier criminal defense lawyer in Michigan. First of all, thank you, Josh Strickland. I greatly appreciate that. Um, I'm proud of my accomplishments, but I will say there's a lot of amazing criminal lawyers. So 
to say who's actually the best, that's up for debate. I'm honored to be in the mix. Put it like that. Corey Norman Fell, I wasn't even supposed to be in law school. Norman Fell and Dr. Wilson, and these are all people I met at Jumpstart. And uh, they told me, basically, early on, that I should go back to New Jersey and bartend. So when Sean Colbert made his comment about Norman Fell being my mentor for Krim, now, Sean, I know it was a joke, but you're my boy. Norman Fell is my role model for people telling me what I can't do. Here's a guy who couldn't carry my f***ing jockstrap in criminal law, and he was telling me how I couldn't make it as a lawyer. Norm, I know you watch it sometimes. I hope you're enjoying it. We can compare resumes whenever you want. Uh, I couldn't stand you at the Innocence Project when you were my professor, if you want to call it that. I couldn't stand you in criminal law. You told me I was a nobody. And I've accomplished more in my career than you could have ever hoped for in a lifetime. So go f*** yourself. And if you're watching this, everything you told us at Jumpstart and first term of law school is bullshit. You didn't teach us how to win a trial. You didn't teach us anything. Your view on the law. Bro, stop. Dr. Wilson was one of the people at Jumpstart who she would brag about how she wasn't a lawyer, but she helps mold young minds. Mm. Yeah. They gave us something called the Nelson Denny test. This was this bullshit test to determine, like an IQ test for lawyers, I suppose. Now, what we didn't know was I had dyslexia. I actually didn't find it out till my third term of law school, believe it or not. And I didn't do good on this test. I didn't do good on the LSAT. Like, I run it through everything. And because of the Nelson Denny test, I, would not gonna, I was not going to make it through Cooley. That's what Dr. Wilson told me. We took that test the day of Jumpstart, and I was told to save my financial aid money. First week was weird. You start making clicks. And one person I met that meant so much to me my first week was Brian Largy. Brian Largy is like a big brother. He was a retired New Jersey State Trooper. We were lucky to be in the same section in law school. And my first term of law school, I lived at Washington Apartments, which was, it was lousy apartments. Uh, I was robbed a couple times, had my car broken into, and Brian got me into Village Green. And going to Village Green and meeting Josh Woodman and the crew, it changed everything for me. I know I would have made it through law school if I didn't go to Village Green, but Brian Largy made my life so much easier. Um, he's a great lawyer out in New Jersey. He's a rising politician. He's a close friend. He was there when mom died. He was there when Aunt Mayor died. He was like a protector in law school. Any first-term student should be lucky enough to have a friend like Brian Largy. I cannot express enough how grateful I am that Brian Largy came into my life. That was one of the few things that first week that really worked out well. Uh, Largy had my back. I always have his. There were some brilliant minds in that first term. Um, Corey Arnett's an administrative law judge. Sean Colbert's doing his thing in California. Brian Cogswell's an excellent lawyer. 
there were many minds that on paper certainly were more intelligent than me. But things were different at Cooley back then. Let me explain. So we came in with 1270. I think we graduated like maybe 250 or something like that. And back then, Cooley had a business model. This business model went like this. We're going to take at-risk students. And they told us a little orientation. Look to your left, look to your right. Those people won't be there at the end. And it was really fascinating because so many people failed out. During my law school career, people failed out. People killed themselves. Uh, people quit. Some people transferred. And some of the most brilliant minds I know didn't make it through law school. And some of the people who I consider complete idiots did make it through. Law school was not a measure of intellect. And you don't notice your first week. Because first week... And kids out there, listen to this. When they tell you to brief those cases, that is such bullshit. What you need to do, and take this to heart if you're listening out there and you're a law student, your first week, and set the tone, you need to kick ass your multiple choice. Multiple choice is going to get you that JD. Make multiple choice your mission in life. Download all the essays on the portal. Start reading them like magazine articles. Get a theme for what the issues are going to be. Because the issues become repetitive. Do not listen to people that tell you to spend your time briefing. That's bullshit. The arc at Cooley, that place is a fucking joke. And, you know, if you're listening, you can quote me on that. They will tell you to do things that contradict what your professor tells you to do. People in your first term, in the first week, all this shit's coming down on you, right? If somebody says, I'll sell you magic beans, people will buy into it. You got to find your own way. But the way to do that, really from the jump, guys, is get control of your multiple choice. I don't understand why Cooley, and I have a lot of animosity towards Cooley. People know that. No matter how many trials I win, I don't get invited to speak at their events. I have no desire to at this juncture. But if you actually taught law students two things, number one, how to succeed in law school. Then number two, how to succeed as a lawyer. It'd be worth $150,000 you pay for it. Instead, it's like this elitist group that tries to hide the ball from people. They don't tell you what you need to succeed. They'll tell you these theories. They want you to find it on your own. Now you're paying $150,000 going into financial aid debt. And after you do that and they have your money, they don't want to fucking teach you how to swim. It's almost worth that people drown. That's my problem with Cooley, you know? And then another issue that came first week was there were so many people that, like, segregated into these cliques. Who was going to be a star? Who was going to be a nobody? And the reality was this. We were all at a fourth-tier law school. We all should have had a chip on our shoulders. Because here's the way it went down. You learn this first week if you were perspective, if you had like perception. And coming from a bartending background. So the Cooley students formed this clique where they thought they were elite. But a lot of their goal was to get the MSU. The MSU students thought they were better than the Cooley students. And if you transferred from Cooley to MSU, you then had like this theory 
that you got into the click. And then the U of M students thought they were better than the Michigan State students. Let me, spoiler alert, we all take the same f***ing bar exam. Am I right, guys? Whether you went to U of M, whether you went to Michigan State, whether you went to Cooley, it didn't matter. You had to take the same god test to get into the club. Man, I'll tell you. Thank God U of M. Let me stop. Anyway, it's just amazing how these cliques became so isolated. And by the way, nobody really gives a f what your GPA was in law school. Nobody cares. Here's what you care about. Here's your, here's your method. Follow me here. You graduate college to take the LSAT. You take the LSAT to get into law school. You get the grades in law school to be eligible to take the bar. You pass the bar to practice. None of these f***ing things have anything to do with one another. And whether you went to U of M, whether you went to Harvard, it doesn't f***ing matter. They can't measure heart. They can't measure soul. And I will tell you, athletes and poker players make the best lawyers. Here's why. We're used to pressure from a young age. We see things other people don't see. We know how to protect the privilege of our client. We know how to advocate. They don't teach that in law school. They really don't. And that was really sad. But that's a reality. Now, about 2005, things got really weird. Here's why. It's what we call the MySpace era. <laughs> MySpace took off, man. It was like a plague. And the Cooley students started really judging people by not only their grades now, but by their MySpace accounts. I remember 2005, there was this one girl I was talking to, and she said to me, hey, I looked you up on MySpace. I didn't find your account. And I said, I don't have a MySpace account. And she looked at me like I told her, um, I don't know, I was like a leopard or something. And she goes, what do you mean of a MySpace account? I don't have one. Should I get one? She goes, well, yeah, I think you should. And then it was like, okay, we stopped talking because I didn't have a MySpace account. It starts out, we got to have these MySpace accounts, right? And it's not just that. Because I didn't consider MySpace a dating app. Many of them did. You got to get a cool profile picture. And then, after you get that cool profile picture, here we go, Emily Thomas, you need to pick your theme music. Because your profile music is how you're going to get into the club. If you have cool alternative music, they think like, hey, this is cool. He's top above. But if you played music that was not popular, well, what's going on there? You actually had to spend time picking out your profile music. This was insane. And I don't know, I'm just, whatever. I picked some like Def Leppard or stuff like that. Here's where things got really strange for me in MySpace. There was something called the MySpace blog. I was talking to a couple friends and one of them said, hey, you were a writer, right? I'm like, oh yeah. 
you should put your poetry on uh, MySpace. I'm like, oh, okay. Whatever. So I start putting poetry on MySpace. Now, here's the thing. Poetry is very subjective. And I believe if you are crazy, you can think the poems are about you if they have nothing to do with you. And I've always had a way of attracting crazy people, thinking when I'm talking about them, it's about them. Right now, there's prosecutors that are assuming this is about them. Um, there are ex-girlfriends that are saying, hey, how dare you talk about paper thin? It's about me. No, it wasn't. Like, it's a subjective thing, right? So then you put poetry under the tension of law school with people that are on edge anyway. And now we start, well, what's Bill writing about? So I start writing these blogs and like hundreds of people start reading these blogs. And I start getting looks from people, you know? Um, some people really impressed. Tell me about your poetry. Some people start getting a little pissed off at me. Remember this one girl said, why were you writing about me? I don't appreciate that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That blog was about somebody I dated in New Jersey years ago. And when I mentioned Atlantic City in the blog, how did you think it was about you considering you grew up in Kentucky? Things are getting weird, right? And I didn't realize that this poetry was a way to really enhance your value with the opposite sex. Until Brian Larkey one day said to me, hey, people are really reading your poetry. He's like, really? And I'm like, okay, cool. So there was this one girl, we won't mention her name. Very pretty woman. I mean, she was beautiful. And she was definitely off. When I say off, like, there was a disconnect here. And uh, we had class together on Friday night. And Brian and I sat, like, in the back row. It was like a courtroom classroom. And she was, like, one row down from us. So Brian comes up to me. And he says, hey, she's really into you. Girl didn't say anything to me. I'm like, oh, okay. Why do you think she's into me? Trust me, she's into you, B. So we're on a break one day. And I just said hey to her. She goes, oh, hey, what's up? And she's like engaging in conversation hard. So I said to Brian, how do you know she's so into me? I'm just, I wasn't paying attention to this. My first few terms of law school, like, Dating was not part of the equation. And then, ironically, dating became like this huge part of the equation. Like, I'd work 14, 15 hours, and then I would date, which was bizarre. I'm the only guy at Cooley, I think, that ever dated so much and never went to a bar. That's a story for another time. But Brian says, this girl's in the end. And so we're talking one night. Brian and I are at dinner. And he's like, listen, I'm telling you, this girl's in you, but you got to act fast. I'm like, um, whatever. He goes, no, B, you got to act quick on this one. I said, so why do I got to act quick? Because, well, I see her reading your blogs, like, all day in class. I'm like, oh, all right. Because we don't understand. He goes, you need to act really fast on this one or else the moment's going to pass. Like, why do I got to move so fast? He said, well, Bill... I watch her reading your blogs all the time. She's not paying attention in class. She's reading your blogs. She's going to fail. 
There's no way this girl's going to pass this class. She's fixated on your poetry. So in some ways, your poetry is with her GPA. What? Because trust me. He goes, ask her to a study group and see what happens. So, okay. One Friday night, I said, hey, do you want to do a study group? Yep. So I'm going over, like, these theories of multiple choice. And all she wants to do is talk about my poetry. And I said to her, hey, you know, files are coming up in a couple weeks. She goes, well, I want to know about what you're going to write about next. And she failed out of law school. And um, so she will tell you if you talk to her today. She's in a land far away from Michigan. With, uh, I think she had a fiance, something that weird couple. They're like, into, well, whatever. I'm not going to get too much in. I don't want to reveal who she is. With that being said, if you talk to her today, she will tell you that my poetry on MySpace distracted her from studying. And that's why she failed out of law school. True story. She told me my poetry messed up her GPA. And Brian said to me, if you don't act fast, you're going to miss this window of opportunity because she's not going to make it through law school. And she didn't. Luckily for me, when she failed out of law school, um, she didn't leave right away. And um, she said she had, you know, her lease is up. I'm like, so, okay, you could stay with me for a while, I guess. Oops, that was a mistake. So I'd be, I'd be in law school and she'd be home. I'm like, so, what's the plan? Like, are you going to reapply? Are you going to go to grad school? She would just sit in the apartment all day. And she'd say stuff like, well, I took care of Winston to Bianca today. Um, Winston and Bianca were my cats. And I'm like, that's great. But, you know, cats are pretty self-sufficient. You know, they get fed in the morning. They get fed at night. Um, I don't really know if that's a full-time job. But, okay. So she'd say stuff like, oh, so you don't care about your cats? No, I love my cats. I just don't know if you should not pursue educational or, you know, business opportunities because you take care of Winston and Bianca. It wasn't like we had children together, right? It was two cats who were very well fed and taken care of. And, um... <laughs> so... <laughs> guys are killing me in these comments. So anyway, um... One day, I came home from study hall and... From the library, I should say. And I guess I had a break, and I was writing poetry, and she didn't think it was about her. That was a mistake. So I had these amazing outlines printed out, right? And she loved to drink coffee. She used to put coffee in, like, a thing like this. Like, drink it all day. You know, and, like... Like, so much coffee. Coffee and energy drinks. Like, this girl's, like, wired up. Now, she's only going to be here in a short period of time. She's been out of law school. She's moving back to a land far, far away. And um, she says, hey, you did a really great job with your outlines. I was going over all of them. I'm like, oh, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, I worked really hard on them. And she goes, did you save them? 
I said, yeah, on this floppy disk. She goes, okay, great. She goes, you know, I could help you out with that. Now, back then, 2005, 2006, the floppy disk was the shit. So she takes the floppy disk, right? And she takes my baseball bat. She starts smashing the disk. Then she took one of her coffee things and she starts destroying all my outlines. And it's like watching a car crash. You're sitting there. And I'm like, you just destroyed like four weeks of work. What the fuck? Wow. Your MySpace poetry sure as hell not about me anymore, you motherfucker. So one day... <laughs> one day, um... <laughs> you guys are killing me with these comments. She had a cat at the house, too. And I guess I should have mentioned... I don't mention the cat's name. But, um... She had a cat at the house. I guess she was taking care of that cat, too. So there were, like, three cats. Like, a blended family, right? And uh, she left a note. She goes, I'm flying back home. Um, I know where you hid money in the um, apartment, and I took the cash. And if you don't come to see me in the next two weeks, you're ever going to see this cat again. Now, I'm checking. My cats are good, right? She took her cat, and I called my aunt, and Aunt Mary was never one to mince words, and I called my mom, and I said, I don't know what to do. She took that cat, and I love that cat, and Aunt Mary and mom said, Billy, let that crazy bitch just go, okay? <laughs> you want to send her some money for the cat, do that, but I got to tell you, kid, this is best for all. And then Aunt Mary says, and I fucking told you that that MySpace shit was going to be a problem. So, MySpace poetry got me her. <laughs> and, um, MySpace poetry cost me her. If I could do anything, if I could change it all again, I would have wrote that poem that upset her two weeks earlier to protect my outlines. That was a pain ass doing those fucking outlines again. Mike Hotscotty, Mike P, total prerequisite with me. You have to be hot and crazy. I've been there. Why am where I'm at? I gotta tell you, Mike, from 2004 to 2008, if there was a crazy good-looking woman in the Lansing area, I may have dated her. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Uh, so, the year was 2006. And I was going over um, some old memories been working all day and I was thinking back to study groups in law school and you know the more I look back at my life it's been pretty interesting but uh today I'm going to talk about a funny situation which didn't really seem hysterical at the time but I think it's kind of comical today and we're going to talk about study groups and the drama that comes from study groups in law school at least if you were in the study groups I was in. I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates.
Okay, when you get to law school, right, you're looking to find your way. And one of the ways that you find your way, in my opinion, is study groups. You find a group of friends. You find your inner circle. And within that inner circle, you have each other's back. Most of us that went to Cooley were from a long distance away, so finding each other, we were finding bonds. You know, we were leaving home, and we formed groups. Now, unfortunately, as you can imagine, young law students in a land far away from home, sometimes we make decisions that may not be the wisest. So I'm going to tell you about one of the study groups I was in, and I'm not going to mention names. Um, the names I do mention are certainly cool to me mentioning the names, but I'm going to mention situations. So I think it was my second term, second or third term, we formed this group. And it was a pretty cool study group. We were like, had that um, New York, New Jersey edge thing going on. And there was a girl in the group who we connected, her and I. And I kind of thought she was the one. You know, I dated a lot in law school, which is really weird. I never went out, but I dated a ton in law school. But this one, she was special, or so I thought. Many of you know the story. Uh, she went off to her externship. She ended up with a much older guy who had a lot of money at the time. Uh, kind of left me high and dry. <laughs> happens. It was what it was. But um, before that, we were pretty bonded in the study group. So after she went to her externship, she came back to Cooley, and she chose not to be in the study group anymore, which I get it. You know, it's like when a divorce happens, certain friends went with me, certain friends went with her. Not everybody knew we were together. We weren't like Facebook official, but your inner circles knew you were together, right? Okay. So we're in this study group. She's not in there. And people kept saying, where is she? And they're looking at me like, I don't know. Now, despite the fact that she rolled, I was trying to protect her situation. Because she was in a very, what I would call, convoluted situation. And I didn't want to put her business out there. It was never my style. If I was hooking up with somebody, nobody knew about it but me and that person. If they decided to reveal things, well, okay. But it wasn't going to come from me. As we'll learn in this story, people start revealing things. So I guess it's like week three or week four. I'm in my study group minus her. And this one girl says to me in the study group, where is so-and-so? I said, I don't know. She says, what do you mean you don't know? You're her man. I said, look, I don't know where she's at. Um... Am I her man? Or was I her man? I don't know. But we're not really together anymore. So she goes, are you really not together? Or are you not together? Like, no, we're definitely not together. Well, are you getting back with her? I'm like, no. Why? I need to know if you're getting back with her. I'm not getting back with her. And it was like one of the members of our group was gone now. They went a different path. And we're going to learn as time moves on... You have this inner circle, but it evolves over time. You know, it changes the faces, the names, the concepts. So I go home that night. It's like 1130, something like that. 
And the girl who was asking about my ex starts calling me up. Now, this is before texting was a really big thing. Because back then, when you text, right, to get to see, you had to hit it three times in 2006. The smartphones weren't what they are today. You weren't searching the internet on your phone as frequently in 2006. You know, it was 16 years ago. So she didn't just text me. She's calling me. So we're talking on the phone. She goes, what are you doing? Um, watching Friday Night Lights that I DVR'd. Been a long day. She says, well, I want to come by and talk to you. Okay. Come on by. Just chilling with the cats, watching Friday Night Lights. You're welcome to come on over. She comes by. And she says, I need to know if you and her are together or not. And I said, no, I told you we're not together. Why? What do you care? Isn't she your friend? She says, okay, let me break this down for you, B. I hate that. I can't stand her. I always liked you. And then she came around and you gave her all your attention. I can't stand the sight of her. She goes, but she thinks we're friends. So I need to know once and for all, are you going to, are you with her? And if you're not with her, are you going to get back with her? I said, no, I'm not getting back with her. And I'm like, kind of like, whoa, this girl was into me because there was never any signs of that. So she goes, okay, you're not with her anymore. You guarantee me that? I said, yeah, I guarantee you that. Whatever happens, happens, right? So we hang out that night. And the next morning, here's where things got screwy. Now remember, this is not the cell phones of 2022. So I did not charge my phone that night. We hung out. And we're laying in bed. It's Sunday morning. It's early. I get up. And I said, hey, do you want breakfast or anything? I said, I'll go grab you something. She says, yeah, that would be great. Okay, cool. Um, I'll be back a little bit. So I like go to McDonald's or whatever, get her some Egg McMuffins. I check my cell phone. And there's like weird messages on the cell phone, right? And... It looks like the word congratulations with exclamation parts, but you can't really see the phone clearly. Because back then, again, with the whole, you had to get to see by hitting it three times, people did not really send coherent texts. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to get up, go get her breakfast. I'll call Aunt Mary and Mom like I do every Sunday morning as I'm going to get the food. I'll come back. Now, it's important to note that back then, I had an answering machine. And that's a Jersey thing, okay? Answering machines are really huge. And if you couldn't reach somebody on their cell phone, you left a message on their landline. Makes sense. So I'm in the car, going to McDonald's for this girl. And I check my cell phone, and it's like, Shit. It's got like 2%. I didn't charge it the night before. Totally forgot. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll go get her breakfast. I'll call at Mary and Mom later. Whatever. Um, that was a mistake. I really should have charged that phone the night before. So I get into the house. And I walk into the house with her egg McMuffins. And she, like, takes them and, like, throws them on the ground. And I'm like, what's up? That's weird. 
just you told me you and her were over before i came over last night i want to be assured of that i stayed here last night you told me you guys were fucking done and you lied to me and i'm like what are you talking about she says well why don't you listen to your answer machines or check your god myspace or facebook okay i don't know what she's talking about i said hey listen you need to relax i wouldn't have bullshit you we're done what's the problem just play your messages so apparently my ex who left for the older guy was kind of pissed off at me what she really wanted to do was kind of hang out with me but marry him and things got really weird there so to get even with me she posted on myspace and facebook a picture of like this giant diamond ring she's so excited wedding date is this day now she wasn't marrying me okay however we had just recently broke up and people didn't even know about the breakup so here's this post on myspace and facebook about her getting married now you gotta remember this i got this weird text message saying congratulations you know i was gone for like a half hour maybe all right i stopped to get gas i went to mcdonald's for her i come back in that half hour my cell phone is dead but my answer machine worked so scott zolber may he rest in peace scott zolber leaves the first voice voicemail this girl hears and the voicemail went something like this hey you asshole congratulations you didn't tell me you were getting married because i'm so excited for you he goes you know you and that girl are going to make it great he mentions the girl by name because we all saw on facebook <laughs> right josh we all saw on facebook and myspace she's posting the ring he goes good for you man because i'm so happy for you because i'm calling q i'm calling your aunt mayor because they don't you know they don't watch social media like me so I'm going to tell your people what's going on. By the way, answer your goddamn cell phone. It's not picking up. Because it was dead. Then Q calls. Hey, Bill, congratulations on the wedding. Um, Please let me know. If I am your best man, I'd be honored to come. But i got to try to work things out. You know, it's pretty um exciting stuff. He goes, I wish you would have told me before she posted on MySpace. And Aunt Mare calls. Aunt Mare screams, Billy! Scott just called me, Scott Zolber. You told me that crazy chick left you for the older guy. Now you're marrying her? You call me your mother right now. Okay, look. So, I'm sitting there. The quasi-new girls hearing these voicemails. I go to MySpace. I go to Facebook. Her stuff's all over the place. And so I'm trying to explain to the new girl, hey, listen, I don't know who she's marrying. I do. But I don't know why she's posting that, but it's not about me. So, I call her up. New girl leaves. She's pissed the f*** off. I played her out, she feels. I call my ex up. I'm like, hey, um, you know, that post you made was public. You know, and you probably shouldn't tag me in a post about you getting married 
when you're not marrying me, I don't think the new guy is going to really appreciate that. In fact, he didn't. He tried to destroy me with the New Jersey Board of Ethics because he thought I was still hooking up with his girl and he had some power at that time. So, MySpace and Facebook created some issues. Now, if I would have been able to read Scott Zolber's message that morning before I went to go get the egg McMuffins for the quasi-new girl, maybe this would not have happened. I don't know, but here we are. <sighs> Needless to say, um, study groups were not quite the same after that. So we go to study group the next Friday, and the new girl is really pissed off, and my ex is getting married to somebody else, and we, like... The whole dynamic of the study group was destroyed. Like, I would be doing a creme pro hypo. So, okay, so let's talk about the plain view doctrine. And she would say, hey, plain view is when an asshole plays you out and you hear stuff on their voicemail, right? Okay, look, we got to focus because we got finals coming up. So could you, like, chill? It didn't work well. And that was the end of that particular study group. Now, we would learn later in time that in law school, shit got really weird. You know, people would take, like, their relationships into their professional life. Here was my view on law school. Law school was my one chance to prove everybody from New Jersey wrong. Had to prove them wrong, right? So I fail at a law school... You know, it's not going to be a good look. What happened from our initial study group was we started incorporating people that were not from New Jersey. And let me just say this. New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, the tri-state crew, we kind of have a different edge than most people. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but what I'm going to say is this. Relationships or positive relationships we're not going to mess up our future. And not everybody shared that point of view. Case in point, the next term with a study group, this is Brian Largy now. Brian Largy, I've mentioned how amazing Brian Largy is. Like a big brother, you know? Um, retired New Jersey State trooper, badass, just a great guy. But Brian has a way of mocking people in the worst way. Like, if you get on Brian's bad side, he will make you feel very bad about yourself. And one day, we're in study group. And this guy in the study group is crying. Now, I assumed he was talking about his dog. He was saying how Shelly... Is not it's not working out with Shelly now during the same time period he had told me that his dog back home in Georgia was sick so he's crying one day in study group and Brian's like ah what the f we're trying to study here this guy's crying like hey cut him some slack he's going through a lot with his dog so I pulled a guy to the side like hey man what's going on it's a dog really sick I've been there. I hope you through this. Don't worry about it. So he starts crying that, no, 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 Shelly's his girlfriend. Now, wheels are turning in my mind. Like, what's going on with your girlfriend, Shelly? 
Because, well, I think she's going to leave me. So, okay. What do I do? Well, we have finals in six weeks, so what you do is you focus on f***ing finals. But you don't understand. If she leaves me, I can't do this. Are you kidding me? Now I'm like Brian Largy. So me and Brian are trying to have like this um tough love moment with him. Hey, look, dude. Listen. Really sorry about the girl. However, you can't cry in here about a relationship. We need to study. This is the New Jersey thing. I could never imagine crying during law school or in life about this girl leaving you. Okay? We have finals coming up. So here's this poor bastard, who we lost all respect for, crying about his girlfriend, and he cannot study because his girlfriend left him. Let me repeat that. He cannot study because his girlfriend left him. What the f***, dude? Really? So, what we did in our study groups was we broke up the material. And we created mock tests. So we're all kind of relying on each other, have each other's back. Well, this guy is not going to do his part because Shelly is hooking up with some other idiot. Come on, man. What the f***? was that man up grow a set of balls listen relationships are tough i get it but you should be crying about the loss of a loved one a loss of an animal not because some chick rolled on you please and don't bring that to our new york and new jersey study groups we don't feel empathy for that he wasn't in the study group much longer moral to the story guys law school was very interesting and study groups are a great way to number one network number two enhance your academic enhancing academics is a big thing but with a study group it's like a team the offensive lines protect the quarterback the quarterback has to find the wide receivers the running backs got to block if you're in a passing situation and when you bring drama into the study groups, you destroy the core of the study groups. So if we could do it again, don't hook up with anybody in your study groups. It's a mistake. And if you are hooking up with someone in your study groups, keep that shit quiet. A lot of drama in study groups. I think they're great tools, but man, when they go wrong. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. January of 2005. Jesus. Was that really 17 years ago? Holy shit. I was a kid. So, it was my second term at Cooley, and here's what happened. Back then, Cooley used to give you your grades if you were a first termer or your last term, the first week of school. Everybody else had to wait till week four. It was a horrible thing. And, uh, you know, I didn't know for years I was, like, fighting dyslexia and dysgraphia. Like, I would see words in reverse. I would write things that made no sense. I had all these thoughts in my mind, but didn't come out on paper. My multiple choice was solid, but you couldn't read my essays. The learning disabilities really kicked in there. And you had to find ways to cope with that. But I will tell you, first term of law school, 
and seeing words in reverse and not understanding this. It was always there, but it was something I just overcompensated for. And we weren't allowed to type our essays first term. Cooley in August 2004 made you handwrite your essays unless you had an accommodation. And the accommodation was you went to go pay a physician money to say you had an issue. I eventually got an accommodation just to type. And when I typed, my career changed a lot. With that being said, first term was handwriting. So we get our first term grades back. And I remember the heartbreak of this. Krim Law, Norman Fell, a D. A D in criminal. Contracts, John Taylor, C minus. Torts, Charles Palmer, a C. I have a 1.5 GPA. I am on academic probation. I have to go meet with the Academic Resource Center. And I am close to getting kicked out of law school. And I call my family up. They say they had Mary and Mom. I don't know, I'm on academic probation. How am I on act pro? <sighs> Just a tough time. I didn't get it. Aunt Mary's crying. What are we going to tell people? Mm -hmm. Mom was a little more supportive than Aunt Mary at that point. And I had to go meet with the professors that you got a C or under. Um, actually, it was under a C. So I had to go meet with Norman Fell. And there was somebody who was living at my apartment, basically rent-free. I won't get into that individual's name. He was a friend at the time. But he got an A in the class. And I had his blue book. And I had my blue book. And I wrote more stuff than he did. I had better multiple choice than he did. How did this guy get an A and I'm getting a D? And the reality was, you couldn't read my handwriting. So the professors, some of them, who I believe Fell was one of them, just didn't even read it. Just slapped the bad grade on there. So when I went for the meeting with Fell, and I typed my essays up, I said, here's what I wrote. He goes, well, I didn't see that. Basically called me a liar. And Fell told me, you don't have what it takes for cooling. Because I'm really sorry, but I gave you a D in my class. And what Fell said was fascinating. So what I like to do first term, I like to weed out the weak. So I was the weak. <sighs> told me I could never make as a criminal lawyer. Told me I would never make it through law school. And he actually told me to save my financial aid money now and just go back to Jersey. And I said to him, you didn't read my f***ing essays. They're pretty good. He said, I'm sorry, you don't have what it takes. Good luck to you. Uh, let's go meet with John Taylor. Nothing against Professor Taylor. That was kind of pointless. He didn't read my f*** either. Then I had to go to the Academic Resource Center, and they told me, you are on academic probation. You have two terms to get over a 2.0 GPA, or you're going to be kicked out. What they did back then at Cooley, which was kind of fascinating, is if you were on academic probation, they held your financial aid money back. So in essence, you didn't get to pick up your funding, which obviously could be a problem. 
I can't imagine that's legal, but okay. So I'm in Lansing, don't have a ton of money, got to fail out of law school. I go meet with Dr. Wilson, Patricia Wilson at the Academic Resource Center. I said to Dr. Wilson, I don't understand these grades. Here's my writing. She goes, well, it's not your handwriting. She goes, that's not it. You're just not smart enough. Okay. And I'm like, all right, listen. I'm going to prove I'm smart because despite my handwriting, I am going to get through coolly and I'm going to be top of the class. I'm going to be a badass lawyer. She goes, well, that's a nice dream. She goes, but you come from New Jersey. Wait for it. And the New Jersey educational system is inferior to the Michigan educational system. Therefore, even if you did well, even if you did well, you're just not going to make it through law school. Okay. We'll see. She says you have to go to all these extra sessions and do this and do that. I'm like, no problem. Whatever. So, when I went to get my accommodation to type, I had to do these tests, right? And these tests showed that I saw the words in reverse. So the physician goes, I don't know how you got the grades you did because you can't see straight. So I had to do all these exercises to learn how to overcome the dyslexia and the dysgraphia. And if I overcome that, my handwriting will be better, but more importantly, it will be less time I have to study and more time I could practice for my exams. So you're in law school, right? You're on AP. You're supporting Aunt Mary and Mom financially. You're trying to learn how to overcome what you're seeing in reverse. You're trying to get the f of academic probation. I got this f telling me that I can't make it through. I got that ASFL telling me I don't have it for law school. A lot of shit going down. Second term, I had torts too at Mark Dotson. Great guy. Dotson helped turn things around for me a lot. I had to do criminal law again with Grady Jessup. Grady Jessup was an absolutely amazing professor, so of course, cool, we fired him. And I had contracts to a professor high. So this is what we call the Amadeo rule now. Here's what I decided to do. I'm learning how to see things differently, and now I'm able to type. So my confidence is starting to soar, but I got to get the grades to get off AP. If I don't get the grades to get off AP, I'm going back to Jersey, and I'm a failure. That's the reality now, right? Okay. So Dots and I kind of hooked up. He liked me. So I was a hard worker. So I said to Dotson, can I come to your class two times a week instead of one? He had two sections. So I used to go sit in on his other section to hear the material twice. I did the same thing with Krem Law. So then Cooley said, because I was showing up for classes twice a week instead of once a week, I was taking advantage of the system. Because there were a lot of people just dying to sit in law school class twice. But what I figured was, if I could hear it twice, I could outwork everybody by doing it two times. And you might pick up something, because in your first class, guys, and if you could do this today, law students, try this. I know it's not fun, but it could be worth it. When you're in class, you're taking notes. Cool. If you go to the class a second time, you already took the notes, now you could just listen. And what you could do is modify your notes for key points. And anything the professor said 
once in your class they repeat might be an essay topic. It's a way to help yourself advance on that final. So I figured I'll just go to school twice. That was it. And then some people at Cooley said, um, that's not fair. If we let you do it, everybody's got to do it. Nobody else wanted to do it. It'd be like telling a baseball player you can't take more cuts in the batting cage. It was kind of insane. But I learned to do this. And Dotson, God bless him, and Grady Jessup let me come to office hours. Moral to the story, grades went way up. And I'm kicking ass on top of my class. And, you know, I could see things straight now. I'd be able to type my essays. The juices are flowing. And, uh, you know, it really turned everything around. And when I got the grades, and I'm off academic probation, I go show Dr. Wilson, right? And Dr. Wilson says to me, even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. That's what she said to me. Like, it was luck that I was getting A's in law school now. And she goes, I'm sure you played scared. She actually said to me, I'm sure you played scared. And what she was trying to say was, you were terrified to fail out of law school, so you worked hard. You didn't work hard your first term. I said, no, Dr. Wilson, let me tell you what fear is. Fear is a gangbanger with a gun that wants to rape you in Atlantic City, not some ass criminal professor that won't read your essays. So I hope we're on the same page, Doc. She didn't like that, obviously. But here we are now. You're getting your grades back, and 2005 was kind of fascinating. The Eagles were in the Super Bowl. They lost to the Patriots, and we're just sitting there. The Eagles getting to the Super Bowl was kind of a sign for me that things were changing. Things were going to happen. This was my hometown team. They're in the Super Bowl. I'm in this apartment in Lansing. I'm close to failing out of law school. Everything starts to surge. Get control of the multiple choice. Be able to see these essays clearly. Go to extra sessions. Whatever the f*** it took. The reality is this, first term was not a fair indicative, wasn't a fair statement of who I was. I wasn't a 1.5 student. But you still had two terms to dig yourself out of that hole. Here's the thing I want you to take from this, guys. Sometimes in life, we get put in a hole. And quite often, we don't deserve how we got to that hole. But you can fight the f*** out of that hole. You may have to change your game. You may have to change your style. For me, it was if I could type and come up with a way to be able to type, they could read what I write. You can't read my handwriting. That's a fact. But bad handwriting due to a learning disability should not be the reason you fail out of law school. Law school, what's really bitter about law school, they don't judge who's going to be a good lawyer. They really don't. And at Cooley, what was so bitter about Cooley to me was they kind of hid the ball. It was like, we're in this club. And if you do things differently, you're not part of that club. Having dysgraphia and dyslexia forced me to do things differently my whole f***ing life. And it wasn't until my second term of law school when I actually learned, oh, shit. That's why I had to study eight hours. Everybody else did four. Compensate for that. So, 
I look at January of 2005 whenever I'm kind of down in this profession. Because this profession, man, we have our good days, we have our bad days. You know, we have days where we're on top of the world. We have days when we just want to put our head through a wall. And, you know, people say to me, where you're at now, do you care as much? So, you know, you're making big money. You're in the public eye. Blah, blah, blah. So a good friend of mine said today, hey, your road to fame has been different. Thanks. Appreciate that. Really do. And that person I appreciate a lot. With that being said, the day I stop caring about the cases is the day I just hang it up. Every day I get to put on that suit and tie is the day I proved a bunch of people wrong. It's like a baseball player who should be honored to put on that uniform every day. Because I got that right. And I'll never forget where I came from because it's paving the way for where I'm going. With that being stated, I'm always going to be grateful to Cooley because they gave me an opportunity. They gave me a chance to prove the LSAT wrong. They gave me a chance to prove many people in New Jersey wrong. However, during that path, they put up all these roadblocks. Instead of interviewing a kid and saying, hey, tell me why you want to be a lawyer. Are you going to work nights, holidays, and weekends? Are you going to put your client first? Are you going to care more about the case and the financial aspect of it? They don't do that. They take these systems and these Scantron sheets, and they say, okay, this person, you get in. This person, you get out. It's not fair. It's f***ed up. But if you want it, you've got to learn how to beat that system. That's all I could say. In my first term, I feel like I was judged unfairly because of my learning disabilities. If you can't read my handwriting, you can't see what I analyzed. Therefore, instead of taking the effort to make you type, let's just fail this person out. And it wasn't just me. There's a lot of people in that situation. I think that's tragic. Anybody who's had hardships in life can be a great lawyer. Because law school is just one barrier, okay? The bar exam is one barrier. You may have to change the way you study. You may have to change the way you handle your analyzations. You may have to change the way you handwrite. Whatever it is. You may have to conform into that club to do your own thing when you get out. That's the reality. And here's the analysis for you. I look at baseball, right? I'm a failed baseball player. When you are in the minor leagues, fly ball comes to you in left field. Glove up, hand over it. That's the way you're supposed to do it. Your hand is supposed to go over the glove. That's fundamentals. That may help get you to the next level. Here's the reality. When you get to the next level, nobody gives a f how you catch that fly ball. You have to conform to be free. Conform in the academic sense to be free in your professional sense. Once that comes through, you got this. That's it for tonight. I will tell you, 2005 of January was a up time, but it did pave the way for a lot of things. It's terrifying it was 17 years ago, but here we are. I'm out.
The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.